Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast of our Wednesday services. We are currently studying through the book of Exodus. Please open your Bibles to Exodus as we dive into our study this evening. Good evening, good evening. How is everybody? Good, good. Tonight we will be in Exodus and in the book of Exodus, not in Exodus ourselves. Um, We have been studying through the book of Exodus and we have reached another climax. Exodus is full of lots of very um, exciting events and we're at chapter 20. Um, So... A lot of things have happened to get us to chapter 20, and I'm sure um, some of you know what's in chapter 20. Um, Chapter 20 would be a very well-known chapter. Um, So just before I start, I'd like to pray. So um, Heavenly Father, we just um, thank you again that we can uh, spend some time in your word, Lord. Um, Father, thank you that you want to speak to us from your word, Lord. I just pray that you'd open our hearts, Lord, and draw us closer to Jesus as we study your word and that we would become more like Jesus um, through what we hear tonight. I just pray these things in Jesus' name. So, chapter 20 in Exodus. um, I'm having technical problems with my notes. Um, Here we go. That's why I should just bring a Bible up here, probably. Um, Here we go. So, last week we were um, at the point where they were at the mountain and God was there. And God had come down, and Pastor Steve um, Miller was reminding us about the people getting ready for God, and they were to consecrate themselves, they were to get ready, to get their hearts ready um, for what God was going to speak to them. And they were also to set boundaries around them um, so that they didn't go too far, and and we're to have boundaries as well, um, set things in place. Um, for our relationship with God and with other people. And there was one last thing that they had to be, they had to be ready. They had to be ready for God coming. And Pastor Steve was reminding us that we need to be ready for whenever Jesus comes back as well. Um, And that was uh, really exciting. So I'm going to read from chapter 19 just to get a bit of a sense of the picture and the scene that's happening the commandments aren't just, you know, the Ten Commandments that sometimes would drive past. If you're here in Montana, you'll see the Ten Commandments a lot. And, you know, this kind of waters down the event that's taking place because, you know, it's just Ten Commandments. But this was an amazing thing. Um, God was there. Um, he was there on the mountain and he had come down. So, In in chapter 19, verse 18, Now on Mount Sinai was all in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. That's just crazy amazing. Um, I I don't know. I was in Guatemala um, about six months ago or maybe nine months ago, and the volcano kicked off. There was that big volcanic event, um, and there was fire on the volcano, and there was a big slide, and there was smoke, and we were about three or five miles away, And there was ash coming down, and it was a huge event, and everybody knew that something was going on. And here, the people of God who had been taken out of Egypt by God, who had been rescued by God whenever they had cried out to him, saved from Pharaoh, gone through the sea, 
got bread provided from heaven, got water from a rock. Now you're at this place, this big volcano, not a volcano actually, definitely not a volcano. People might like to say that it was a volcano, but it was definitely, those mountains are granite, um, so no volcano. Forget I even mentioned volcano. This is God, fire, smoke, talking to Moses, and it's, it's just an amazing scene. Um, and God wants to share with his people these commandments. Um, so that's the picture that's going on. Um, God's giving them his laws, things that he wants them to remember to do, remember not to do. Um, I don't know, my experience with the law, I've had very little experience with the law, which is probably a really good thing. I've been stopped by the police, maybe going a little bit too fast, but thankfully didn't get a ticket. Um, but it, was a, it changed my driving habits whenever that happened and I slowed down. So here in Whitefish, I drive very carefully at the speed limit as much as possible even whenever I'm getting home and I'm trying to get home because that's whenever I was driving too fast, I wanted to get home from work. So, but even now, drive carefully. And the law is there for us. Um, <coughs> I also, uh, back home, I worked as, an, worked as an architect for a long time um, and drew plans and blueprints. And for people to build the best things that they could, there's these plans and these blueprints and these instructions and these Ten Commandments are instructions and they're for our lives to build the best life that we can. That's part of the story of the commandments. There's also more to them as well, and we'll get into that. So, here we go. Chapter 20. Um, in verse 1, Then God spoke all these words, saying... Okay, we're going to stop there. God spoke all these words. There are about a million people there. Um, maybe a million, two million, up to three million people are saying, God spoke all these words to a million, two million people. That must be a crazy PA thing. Dinan plugged me in tonight. You guys can hear me. I've been at some big concerts and things. Um, seen some bands and things, but this is amazing. God is speaking to all his people and wants them to hear all these things. Um, and it's for us as well. We need to hear these things. But people today, um, even people today in the, in the church, um, maybe have questions like this. The law and the Ten Commandments don't apply today. They might also say, the law is opposed to God's grace. The law introduces salvation by works. Um, the law is good only to show us that we're sinners. Um, and I just want to address those things because that isn't the case. The Ten Commandments are a lot more than that. The, the Ten Commandments do show that we are all sinners. And Jesus, whenever... He was talking to the rich, young ruler. Um, uh, this young man comes up to, up to Jesus, and I just want to share this little story. Um, because the law does show us that we're sinners, and this is why Jesus asked him these questions. So, in, in Matthew's Gospel, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him. He knelt before Jesus and asked him, good teacher, <coughs> what should I do to inherit eternal life? Note there, he's asking what he has to do to get eternal life. Um, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. 
looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who had owned much property. Jesus looked round to his disciples and said, How hard it is for a wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. <coughs> the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a animal to go through the eye of a needle to him then who can be saved looking at them Jesus said with people it is impossible but not with God for all things are possible with God Jesus is using the tank a mirror that reveals that we're dirty but you don't wash your face in a mirror all things are possible with God eternal life is the gift of God we live by faith our faith is in a faithful God we have faith in God because we him and Jesus is the centerpiece <coughs> people quite often have maybe the Ten Commandments on, on the wall in their home you, you see it whenever you maybe go into courthouses and things but Jesus is the centerpiece the Bible's quite clear and says that um, it says that It says that the law points us to Jesus. Um, so I want to just address some of those questions. The law and the Ten Commandments don't apply today. In Galatians, it says, <coughs> and this is where maybe they get the idea, but they, they misunderstand this. For the flesh is set against the desires, against the desire, against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. So this is Galatians 5, 17 to 18. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Paul goes on later on in Galatians um, to say that Therefore, the law has become your tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. We're justified by faith in Jesus. We're sanctified by faith in Jesus. We're glorified by Jesus. It all comes from Jesus. So, um, then God spoke all these words, saying, So these words are for us today, today in the church. Um, verse 2 Then the Lord, I, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's the first thing that God says to them. Before he says any of his commandments, he says, I am the Lord your God. He's personal to them. He's saying that he's their Lord. He's their God. He's not just the God of their forefathers. He's already revealed his name, Yahweh, to them. He's their Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They have been rescued by this God. 
as a, and they've done nothing to deserve to be rescued. They've been taken out of Egypt by God, out of the house of slavery. God's freed them <coughs> from Pharaoh and with them and taking them to this point and they haven't done they haven't done anything. God's done everything for them to get them to this point. God's been fighting their battles. Um, God's been providing food for them. God's been providing water for them. And all these things have been a picture of God, how God provides for us. that we have are what me and my wife and these are rules that God has for his children and what he on with the first commandment. He goes on and says that we should have no other gods before him. God is the one thing that really matters. Everything else doesn't matter. It, it is the most, God is the most important person. God has existed from the very, very beginning. We are just his created things, but not just his created things. We're created in his image to have a relationship with him. And that relationship, that loving relationship that we can have with him is what makes life meaningful. It's what life is all about. So God wants us to have this life he wants us to have what life is all about. He wants us to put him first, that we should have no other gods before him. We live in a world where there's lots of different gods that we can get distracted by. There's lots of different gods in America. Um, I don't really want to talk about those gods because they're not as great as our God. They're not as great as Jesus. They're just distractions. They're just idols. They're just things that he has made. So 
His second commandment, you should not make any, make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquities of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation for those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commands. <coughs> God doesn't want us to make anything out of the stuff that he's created and to worship it. And that's what we do or can do. Everything that God has created from the beginning, back in Genesis, God created it good. But after the fall, the stuff could be good or it could be bad. And whenever it takes priority over God, it becomes bad. It becomes an idol. So there's lots of things that God has made that are good, but if we get the order of them wrong, they become bad. And again, I could list some of those things that can become idols, um, but I'm sure that you can think of what those things are maybe in your own lives without me having to list out what things are could become idols in your life. I can list some of the good things that God has made. God has made loving relationships between men and women. God has created marriage. God has created the beautiful nature around us. He's created places for us to live, shelter. He's created prosperity. He's created wealth. All these different things can be good things, but if they take any priority over God, then they can become bad things. And then they lose their meaning. They lose what is good. God doesn't want us to miss out. He doesn't want us to miss the giver for the gift. He's given us all those things. He doesn't want us to get distracted just by the gift. He, the giver is much better. At the very end there, um, God's also reminding them that he shows loving kindness to thousands and to those who love me and keep my commandments. God loves us thousands of times and he wants us to keep his commands and to love him. Augustine said, love God, do what you want. Um, and I used to really like that because I, you know, as long as I'm loving God, I can do what I want. That isn't what it says here. It says, love God and keep my commands. So it's better to love God and do what he wants, not what you want, what he wants. Um, so it's important that we want to do what this loving God wants for us. The third command, you shall not take the Lord, oh, sorry, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. God's name brings meaning. God is a God of meaning and purpose. Whenever we do anything outside of his name for ourselves, it's vanity. The author of Ecclesiastes said vanity, vanity, vanity whenever he was looking for meaning outside of God. Outside of God, there's no meaning. It's just vanity. It's just meaninglessness. God doesn't want us to miss out. He wants us to have meaning in our lives. He wants our lives to have meaning. And we can't have meaning 
if we're not living the lives that he wants us to. And it's not just a matter of giving lip service to God. It's how we actually live our lives that matter whenever we're living our lives for him, with him, in relationship. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you should labor and to do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you should not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner, who stays with you for six days? The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord has blessed the seventh day and made it holy. God is a God of time, He has all the time in the world, and He wants us to take time with Him. He wants us to take time with him every day, but he also wants us and has created order. And the order that he's created is seven-day weeks, six days where we work, and a day where we can set aside for him. And that day is to be special. And back whenever he first mentioned, when Sabbath is first mentioned in the Bible, um, four chapters earlier, when it's first mentioned in chapter 16, These are slaves who were in bondage, who had to work all the time, no breaks, no nothing. And God established the Sabbath again for his people. And he wants us to be able to set aside time for him every day, but also opportunities to spend a day resting with him. And... The principle of the Sabbath still stands in Colossians 2, 16 to 17. The reality of it is found in Christ. In Galatians 4, uh, verses 1 to 11, it's, it's also established. And in Romans 14, 1 to, no, 14, 1 to 15, 7. So the Sabbath is a special day for us. And it's very hard for us to have a day of rest. My children will probably never experience what I was able to experience whenever I was growing up. Back in the 80s, um, the trading laws changed in Northern Ireland where I grew up. Before that, lots of shops and businesses remained closed on one day a week so that their employees could rest and so that there was time set aside. That all changed in the 80s in Northern Ireland, and now every day is the same as every other day. But God, from the beginning, wanted us to have that day from the beginning in Genesis. The Sabbath is a day where we can remember God created things, but it's also a day when we can remember redemption. In Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 to 15, it's also a day where the people were to remember that they were rescued out of Egypt. And for us, it's a day where we can remember and celebrate how God has rescued us and spend time with him. So, These first four commandments are about God and about our relationship with him and how he wants to be treated.
wants to have a relationship. Like he wants us to spend time with him. Older people aren't valued as much in society as as they may. Verse 13, you should not know. And it's not like Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you,
just simply driving and make people angry. You know, you get cut off. whenever we get angry and annoyed at very silly little things and we can get angry with people around us too people things are different you can create arguments but it's important to reconcile with one another and that's what Jesus is pointing us to is being reconciled and to love one another um, and to show the grace and love that we've been shown to each other um, verse 14 you shall not commit adultery God Adultery destroys families. It destroys what God had intended to be good. And it breaks his heart. Um, in Matthew 19, verse 8, Jesus is talking about divorce. And he says, it's because of the hardness of heart Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not in this way. Creation points to what marriage should have been like. God created Adam and Eve and put them in a garden to have relationship with one another. And it's so easy not just even to look at the world, but to look at the Bible and to look at maybe um, King Solomon or King David, or the stories in the Bible where marriage isn't the way God had intended it to be. And Jesus says it's because of hardness of hearts. Let's pray that our hearts are soft, that God will soften our hearts, that he'll fill our hearts full of his spirit, full of his love, that we will turn to him and receive what he wants for us. In Malachi 2, verse 16, God says this, For I hate divorce. And I'm glad that God hates divorce because I know that he's going to be faithful to me. He loves me and he's not going to divorce me. He's going to be faithful and steadfast and he's going to be faithful and steadfast to you, each one of you, because he hates divorce. He doesn't want to be separated from his bride. He never will be separated from his bride. He'll never do anything that he hates. You shall not steal. God is our provider. And we're just his stewards. God was providing for these people. There was no, they had food and they had provision from God. They didn't need to steal. Jesus dealing with stealing. Um, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for you, 
your whole body to be thrown in, to go into hell. Stealing. Has anybody ever stolen anything? Uh, anybody ever taken something that they shouldn't have? No. Anybody ever stolen a little bit of time? Um, clocked in a wee bit late, early. Um, God provides for us, and he provides enough for us. In James 4, verse 2, it says, You lust and do not have. You commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain. You fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. If we're in need, we've got a God who will just, if we ask him, he'll provide what we need. These people in the wilderness were able to go and ask him whenever they were hungry. They grumbled. They didn't need to grumble. They could have just asked him. Whenever we're in need, we can go to God and we can ask him for what we need. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. God is a God of truthfulness. God tells the truth. God tells the truth. That means that we can believe what he says. We can believe what Jesus has done for us. We can believe that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he's going to do everything that he's promised that he's going to do in Scripture. Us, on the other hand, um, again, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, again, you've heard it that your ancients told, you shall not make false vows, but you fulfill your vows before the Lord. But I say to you, Make no oaths at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath on your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statements be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this is evil.
things that aren't for us because God doesn't have them for us. But God has enough for us. God fulfills in all situations. Paul had learned the secret of being content in all circumstances, whether he abounded with a lot or whether he didn't have. And we need to be the same. We need to have Jesus and for Jesus to be enough in all situations, whether we're doing really, really well or whether we're just getting by. He But it's something that I'm learning and being challenged in to walk with All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sounds of the trumpet and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But let not God speak to us or we will die. God had spoken his Ten Commandments to them. And now they were terrified. They didn't want God to speak anymore. I can't imagine what that was like. I, I find it hard to put myself in their shoes. But God did say in De Deuteronomy 5 that what they said was good. So um, what they were saying was okay for Moses to communicate with them and for God did still tell their commands, but there was something that they did do that Deuteronomy doesn't say was good or doesn't say was bad. Um, as we read on, they, they did this. They moved away from God. They, 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 they moved further away. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain on you so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. In Deuteronomy, it says that what they said was good, but they're pulling back from God. They're moving away. Um, and whenever God's speaking to us, it's important. And whenever it's challenging, it's important to push into him. God was drawing close to his people. God was revealing himself to them. But they wanted Moses to go between. And it's interesting. There's two ideas of being afraid. Do not be afraid. And then be afraid. Um, do not be afraid for God is coming in order to test you. So do not be afraid. Um, and in order that the fear of him may remain in you. So they wanted fear to remain. But they weren't to be afraid. That seems kind of complicated. Don't be afraid. Fear remain. It's like... Uh, contradiction almost um, but whenever I was thinking about this it, they don't need to be afraid of God of God God has been provided for them he's rescued them um, and God isn't there to judge him judge them he's there to give them his law his commands his blueprint for their lives but they are to fear how holy God is um, and to remember how awesome he is and how, how amazing he is. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's important for us to know that God is holy, he is loving, and he does want us to draw close to him. Then then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven, and you shall not make any gods beside me, gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. So Moses receives another command that they shouldn't make any other gods, any gods of silver or any gods of gold. And this reminds me of the story we started with, the story of the rich young ruler who had difficulty following Jesus because he had a lot of property, he had a lot of wealth. Because Jesus' words saddened him and they grieved him because he owned much property. He had gold and he had silver. God doesn't want us to have any other gods. He doesn't want us to make them for ourselves. He wants us to be free from those other gods. He wants us to be free to live in his spirit. Romans 8 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. We're free from the things of this world that would hold us back from Jesus. And we can have life in the Spirit. He, he, Moses then receives a, um, further instructions. You shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and bless you. God gave them the law, but he, he has given them this instruction about building altars and sacrifices. God never intended the law to save them. He never, he, 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 he gave them the instructions. He always knew that there was need for sacrifice for sin. And for us, Jesus is that sacrifice. And he fulfills the law. He fulfills the law in two ways. He fills, fulfills the law because he was perfect because he's totally righteous and lived the perfect life for us. And he fulfilled the law in the second way because he sacrificed himself for us. So Jesus has fulfilled the law and in doing so then we can live with him and we can be free of the law of sin and death, but we need to walk by the law of the spirit. Um, And then he goes on to give some more instructions with regards to these altars. If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not make it out of cut stone. For if you wield your tools on it, you will profane it. Uh, And you shall not go up by steps on my altar so that your nakedness will not be exposed. He didn't want them to make make the, make the, the um, to do any work on it. He didn't want it to become about them. He just wanted it to be a stone altar. 
without their workmanship on it, without them taking some sort of credit for the altar that they were making. He just wanted it simple. And he didn't want them to go up on it. He didn't want them to elevate themselves. Because whenever you elevate yourself, you end up exposing yourself. He wanted them to humbly come to him and make sacrifices for their sin and for uh, to, to be reconciled. They want, he wanted peace offerings and burnt offerings as an atonement sacrifice. And we have our sacrifice in Jesus. So it started off God in his power spoke these words to these people so that they could follow his plans. And these are good plans. My my son was four recently, and I give him a coloring book. And the coloring book has nice nice lines on it. Um, and he, I, I, I love it whenever he colors. I love it whenever he does what he's desire, what I've given him to do. And he he colors away, and he, I'm trying to find some of his good work. So this is some of his good work. So he's coloring away. There's lines there that he's meant to draw with him. But sometimes he goes outside the lines. And sometimes he goes, Daddy, can you help me? And I go over and I'll hold his hand and I help him draw and color in. And he's doing a great job. And I get very excited whenever he's trying to do what I've asked him to do. Whenever he's coloring in. Whenever he's working within the lines that are in the book that he, I've provided for him. And it's the same for us. God has provided these instructions for us, for us to live the best life so that we can have the best picture that we can have. And whenever we go outside the lines, he wants us to come to him. He wants us to come to him and let him hold our hands and fix the things that are gone wrong in our lives. And he gets excited whenever we are trying to live for him and whenever we're, we're passionate about what we're doing. Um, it, the law, the lines show us where we've gone wrong, but they're also something that provide for us a framework so that we can have a beautiful life with Jesus um, because he's fulfilled the law and he wants us to walk in the same law that he's fulfilled. I find this very challenging because I go outside the lines. My life isn't perfect, but yet God's excited and he loves me and he, he wants me to walk with Jesus all the more. And the more I read his word and listen to what he has to say, the more I need to go to him to help hold my hand in whatever I'm doing. So it draws me closer to Jesus. It shows me that I've sinned, but it also draws me closer to Jesus and what he wants my life to look like whenever I'm reading his word. And it's the same for all of us. He wants us to listen to his voice. Um, he wants us to be aware of the sin in our life so that we can let him fix it. And it's a beautiful thing. It was a gift for his people. God's word is a gift for us. Um, we can hear his voice every day. Thank you for joining us for this study through the book of Exodus this evening. If you would like more information about Selah Fellowship, please visit us on the web at selahfellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.